0: Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel Department. Let's see more. Hello, I'm Connor Faulkner and this is Driving Life. welcome to episode thirty four where i meet professor donal o'shea ireland's leading medical specialist in obesity and gender services two very big but very different modern issues he's very frank on the need for better understanding of obesity and he's also frank on the harm done by zealous activists on gender But before we join him, I'd like to take a moment to say a big thank you to our sponsors, to Doro Mobile Phones and to Expressway Buses, great companies in very different areas. They're very good to support us, so thank you very much. Don't forget to check out earlier episodes and other chats. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. So now, let's go and meet Donal. So, hello, Donal O'Shea. Great to meet you in your natural environment. Yeah, delighted to, uh, that you've come to visit. Um, we're in Town Hospital, or a bit of it, um, yeah. it
1: and uh, this is your base camp,
0: basically, isn't it?
1: This is base camp for uh, the majority of the services that I'm involved with, the obesity service, which I think is ironic because we're in an old famine uh, yeah. workhouse yeah, environment. Yeah, obesity in, in, one, in a building that was... was built for famine relief. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that, the, the irony of that is, I mean, it's, it's there for everyone to, to see, yeah. um, and that's what's happened. We've gone from famine through the last 160, 70 years to uh, an epidemic of uh, obesity and energy excess. Unthinkable, really. Yeah, well, if, if somebody from Fallon or Ireland took a look at us, they'd say your problems are all about uh, success and excess and they don't really count as problems at all. Well, that's no comfort if you're living in this society, is it?
0: Yeah,
1: it's not, but there is an ongoing uh, backlash saying, well, we shouldn't be medicalising obesity and we should be looking at it as environmental progress and we shouldn't be, by medicalizing it, we stigmatise it and therefore don't treat it like a disease
0: yeah you know i think there's a modern tendency to
1: medicalize a lot of things
0: unnecessarily and excessively and so listen just wind back a little bit 20 years
1: you've been working in the area generally of obesity isn't that right right? yeah it's come up 30 now so uh, yeah yeah. so when i moved to london in 1992 i moved to a unit that had an interest in how the brain controlled appetite and Mm. Then, then because of that patients who were living with uh, obesity uh, came to that center and we were unable to manage their obesity uh, we were doing kind of research in it but we yeah. weren't at a position where we told a story
0: once was. about treating some poor devil in London who was so obese that he literally had to be treated on a mattress on the floor
1: yeah and, so I mean that, that kind of and that was uh, shortly before I moved back to the job I'm in in, in 1999 I came back to Dublin and that was the kind of patient who made me say look we've got to do better i mean we don't understand the therapy well but we've got to be able to look after individuals with obesity in a more dignified manner yeah and 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 keep studying the condition and trying to understand not just the drivers of it which are pretty clear mm. but can you pick your way towards successful treatment? Yeah. And I suppose also can you pick your ways towards policies um,
0: at state level that, yeah. that can, can intervene and, and redirect the tide. It's a problem with sweeping the whole world. Yeah. We're, we're terrible. We, we index relatively poorly against OECD peers, but everybody's seeing the same sort of trend. right? The Americans are the worst and have been for a long time.
1: Yeah. It is. I mean, if if what was happening in Ireland was happening in isolation, it would be like a disaster. But you look and every other country in the developed world is doing the same uh, trends in terms of their childhood obesity, in terms of their adult obesity. And, you know, the argument that we're living longer than ever in Ireland that we're a success story uh, is true at one level. Yeah. But... The problem and the challenge for the the medical community and society is we're living longer, but with more years of chronic
0: illness. Yeah. And um, but look, better things in life. Uh, it, it Roll back a little bit before you came into that. Um, you're the spit of the brother. You probably get confused with him regularly still. And
1: um, did you play rugby yourself in Tyrone or? Yeah. I, I played rugby in school in Tyrone College. Yeah. Uh, I was on the I was captain of the fourths and brought up to the thirds for the last match of the season and in ucd i was third a's and third b's so right. i enjoyed the game uh, my problem was i was uh, kind of a big uh, chunky kid so i was put in as a prop as an under seven right and once a prop always a prop so i was a prop until i finished playing in college it, you know, it's it's one of those. And what was Connor's story then? He just, you know, when he was in, when he was an under seven,
0: they stuck him in at out half. Uh, you know,
1: international fullback. Look, yeah. they stuck they stuck Connor in at, at out half as an under seven, and the scrum half they stuck in beside him was Niall Hogan, and, and Niall Hogan went on to captain yeah. the Irish team that Connor played on. Yeah. Um, and you know, you wouldn't have a huge number of internationals. Uh, the idea that you'd be sticking two seven-year-olds on a pitch and Fifteen years or sixteen years later, they'd be running out representing the national side. Is mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, uh, but a different life for you, uh,
0: medicine, and over here to Ireland. And you've been involved in the conversation. There's a couple of really topical conversations where you're you are involved. One of them is the whole obesity thing, uh, which we kind of touched on, and how we plan for it, how we mitigate it. The other thing is gender studies and gender realignment, um, which again you are very much at the forefront of. I, I. I read i was horrified by it but i was convinced by it you made an observation that you have patients present to you who've been practically coached into believing that they are transsexual and and they may not be they're
1: too young to know yeah so the term is transgender yeah and uh the uh i would have to preface this by saying the most positive outcomes that I have been associated and involved with in my medical career have been individuals who uh, are transgender and transition with the support of their family and the support of their society and their their kind of community. Um, And then the flip side of that is the worst outcomes Mm -hmm. I've been associated with are individuals who or gender questioning, uh, get pulled down the road of uh, convince they're transgender, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, get coached, uh, not but by parents would be incredibly rare, it, but it does happen. But by activist individuals or groups who say this is what you need to say uh, to get onto hormone treatment this is what you need to yeah. say to get onto, to uh, surgical treatment and, and, you know kids of,
0: of, of all stripes uh, just have a natural tendency to grow towards the light you know so if they're getting response if they're getting praise if they're getting validation you know naturally they're going to they're gonna do that and um, so perhaps an exaggeration to say that they can talk themselves into believing that they're trans questioning whereas in fact they're just
1: growing up like every other kid Yeah, I mean, I think uh, gender questioning isn't something that was, uh, you know, coming to terms with your actual sexual orientation Mm -hmm. is something that everybody, uh, you know, arrives at kind of puberty and and then suddenly they're interested in things they weren't interested in before puberty and, you know, it's it's a a big change. But the idea that you might question your gender uh, is very rare. And Mm. 19... 5% five percent of people don't ever question their gender yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the prevalence of uh, transgender isn't really known uh, it's pr- well less than one percent of the population so but you would say it's, it's rare but real well it's, yeah. it's, it's rare and it's rare and it's real but but for individuals who are gender questioning and, and again you mentioned this with obesity about the global trend yeah. what's happened in Ireland is Absolutely reflected with what's happening globally. Mm -hmm. There has been a year-on-year doubling of presentations with uh, gender identity issues everywhere. And uh, there's been a massive swing. It was almost exclusively male to female back in the 60s and 70s with very little female to male. And now it has swung right the other way where it's mainly... Female to male and, and younger than it used to be, uh, and a, a massive uh, spike in, in the link uh, with neurodiversity or autism. Oh, right, I didn't realize that link existed. Yeah, and that's another, uh, but internationally, uh, and that's really important in terms of uh, how individuals uh, will fix on an idea and relate to an idea. So mm-hmm. if, if you have um, neurodiversity or autism, um, and you question uh, your gender or you're told that gender questioning is uh, a, a healthy thing, which, and it's, it's fine to, to question your gender, but you can very easily get sucked down mm-hmm. a, a narrow focused, exclusive focus on gender. Yeah, it can become your dominating issue. Yeah.
0: Sponsored by Expressway. With MyExpressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations.
2: Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie? Daro, make friends with innovation.
0: There's a very good friend of ours, Vicky Mullen. I actually interviewed her for the podcast. She's terrific. Yeah. Um, golf buddy in Eulens Golf Club. Um, she she's she's trans. Yeah. Pre, previously, Victor, uh, and she's one of those examples of a really good outcome because um, maybe because it was, she was mature, it was later in life, and you know, f- come full psychological journey, fully understood her her own mind and purpose, and a terrific outcome and great I hope to be playing golf with her for. For many years to come yeah. um, so, and so and clearly in Vicky's case it's absolutely real and um, but I tell you what I fear and I fear this without expertise this is more just kind of a kind of a, an a instinct and um, it has become fashionable I get shocked for saying it it's become fashionable it is a modern topic of conversation you know there was a flurry of UFO sightings in the 50s because it was it was all the rage it was all everybody was talking about um, and, and, and you know, a current rage is all about gender identity, conflated with, and not unrelated to, female rights, etc. But you know, on one end, you've got pronoun hysteria, meaning nobody can even talk anymore. Um, and surely, if you're a passionate trans activist, you should be just as worried about the misdiagnosed uh, trans kid as you are about the unfulfilled trans kid.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, why do so we hear you, that? Uh, we don't hear that because you know I've spoken to senior political figures about this, mm. who have said to me, uh, "You can't speak about this, or you're cancelled. Yeah. Canceled. Uh, journalists who've written about it uh, have had protests outside the door of their office. Uh, you know, really nice stuff. Yeah, really yeah. nasty nice stuff. Uh, I think you have to uh, look at anchor yourself in the fact that it's real so Mm -hmm. vicky mullen yeah you meet her and you would uh, have no doubt but then this is a real phenomenon and this is an example of that yeah Uh, if you have worked with it and you have met the individuals who have gone a part way on the journey i gone. Well, I'm not actually no. so sure. And if I'd been given a bit more time to think about it, I may not have. Um, there, there is an element of social mm. contagion in this. And I have sat with the trans activists, yeah. and I've said, uh, I, "I am telling you uh, that there are a cohort of people yeah. who are being encouraged down this route." For mm. whom it's completely unsuitable, yeah, they some are already regretting and coming back to us, and we're trying to help, if you like, uh, detransition. Yeah. Uh, and others will come back as they have been coming back uh, in the UK mm. uh, from the Tavistock clinic, uh, eight years down the line, going, uh, hang on a second, uh, what was done to me was done to me. Uh, and it shouldn't have been yeah. built to me. As a result of social programming or anything? As a result of a, a, a thought, a desire uh, mm-hmm. they had at the time uh, that was inadequately explored. And, you know, this this catastrophic outcome is a result of
0: every party involved being sincere. You know, the people who describe themselves as trans rights activists absolutely passionate in their sincerity. Now, I think... Often hysterical and often excessive, and you know if they're talking about pronouns, they're having the wrong conversation. But no doubt they're sincere. Um, and, and likewise, the, 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 the cautionary voice that says, you know, surgery is catastrophic, and you know, surely it should be a last option, not a first option. To have those voices voices shouted out of the conversation as if they were somehow undermining your rights, um, you're, yeah. you're not going to panel the wisdom out of that conversation. No, uh, but
1: the, there is a, a problem that the activist voice is dominant in the social media space, so it can occupy a percentage of the opinion time and the general public thinking time that's disproportionate uh, to their knowledge. So the service that we provide here in, in Loughlinstown for uh, people who are, are transgender or, or gender-questioning is multidisciplinary psychiatry, psychology, social yeah. work, occupational therapy—all the things you need. So I'm in parenthesis that this is all in
0: very modest accommodation around here. The, the sort of national gender facilities is, is literally is a porta cabin yeah. across the landing promise.
1: Yeah, it's fundamentally you're talking about you're talking about a, a series of porta cabins. Yeah. But the service not quite can, living up to the grandiose plaques. Fixed. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not terribly grandiose plaques, but mm-hmm. they, they're they're certainly saying we're Tigers here, really? yeah, yeah, and we're here, uh, we're here to stay. We're not going to change or stop doing what we're doing, but our service is trashed online by trans activists, um, and we're put in a category of uh, extreme right when in fact. When we came back from, when I came back from London and Paul Moran, who's the lead psychiatrist, came back from London with mm. some training, we said, like anything else we do, we need to do this properly. Yes. In line with international best evidence and practice, not rocket science, just do it well. Mm. Um, what can possibly be the argument against that? The, the
0: medicals want to be slow and sensible. Yeah, so. Surely that's good. Uh,
1: in, within the context of medicine, There is the first rule of do no harm. Yeah. Uh, So we have to be uh, cautious. We have to evaluate. We have to make sure it's the right step for an individual at the right time in any condition we manage. Yes. Um, That's seen by trans activists as gatekeeping. So why Mm -hmm. should I ask you uh, about uh, why you want a, a certain part of your body removed? So, as a medic, uh, if you're going to have if if uh, somebody that I'm looking after is going to have a part of them removed, uh, I think it's really important that you find out why they want that removed, what their expectation of that result is going to be for the rest of their lives, and and the activists have that in the category of um, you know uh, invasive questioning, uh, Mm -hmm. you know and as I say, would attempt to trash the the service online. Um, And that online trashing, uh, is, uh, has a deeply damaging effects to the team. And I see it when the medical students come here, the medical students come here, and they'll sit in on the clinic and they'll be aware of the trashing online. Mm. And then they see what we're doing and they're going, Oh, so it's actually not like that at all. You really do need to have a proper multidisciplinary assessment. Yeah, and the, the moment you're calm and rational about it, if you acknowledge that, of course,
0: that's the case. If you ask the most passionate trans activist in the world, let's say you've got somebody, sort of, your best friend um, has decided via Google that they need to have a kidney removed for medical reasons. And they couldn't give a damn what the doctor and the surgeons think they want the surgeon to do his job and remove the kidney. What advice would you give to that person sitting beside you? You wouldn't tell them you're dead right, these doctors don't know what's good for us. Yeah. Um, you'd tell them to be sensible and listen to medical advice.
1: Uh, 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 can there be a sensible argument against that when it comes to something as important as genuine alignment? Uh, I, I don't think there could be a sensible argument against it. Uh, there, can but be allowed, there can be a loud activist uh, argument, and there can be an activist, uh, if you like, strength. In in public opinion Mm. that means uh, that the body politic and um, senior leadership in the HSE um, won't uh, support the medical approach and will side with the Mm. optimist. Is there anybody
0: doing it right around the world do you think?
1: Are there best practice examples? Uh, In truth the answer to that is there are limited Examples of yeah. best practice. Uh, hillary Cass has published a report in the Tavistock uh, saying the Tavistock should close because they were uh, doing it in a kind of a go on ahead uh, of a gender affirming model. Right. And uh, she wants an assessment, a uh, holistic assessment model. Yeah. Um, well, let's not lead the witness just because we're so keen to do the surgery. That's ridiculous, yeah, isn't it? you know hillary cass is meeting uh, well we've mm-hmm. met with her a couple of times she's very impressed with how we're doing it here mm-hmm. and would say that the nhs should uh, take exactly the kind of model she's talking about which is our model right and put that in place uh, in a couple of centers uh, in the uk and you would need that in the, they're 10 times the size of a yeah, alarm yeah. so you would need to have four or five centers like this uh, in the UK mm. but this is exactly the kind of model that uh, Hilary Cass is saying is best practice what we have to do is collect the evidence as we yeah. accumulate it um, saying this is where we've done it well this is where it hasn't worked as well and this is why yeah. and, and learn from it as we evolve and, and w- w- one of the things we all have to do maybe is, is ensure that
0: evidence is good enough uh, I mean it should be it should be but in the society in which we live at the moment, it um, it, it, it often isn't. I mean, there's literally a PR yeah. game to be played sometimes. Yeah, no,
1: I mean, uh, there's, there's talk of evidence-based medicine, yeah. uh, which is what we practice, and there's talk of eminence-based medicine, <laughs> which is, uh, somebody says it's a good idea, um, and uh, because they, their opinion is respected, uh, people go along with it. The age of eminence Based medicine is over. You need the evidence, and and that has to guide everything you do. Uh, And we
0: also need to live in a society where evidence is valued. And I mean, one of the things that uh, you and I first met was in the young scientists exhibition, uh, the BT Young Scientists in the RDS, back in person this year after a couple of virtual years. Um, But uh, for me, that is absolutely wonderful because you see the kids at their best. They are terrific youngsters. Um, they're all applying scientific method to their projects and you, you can't but come away um, with, with hope for the future. That's the good side of the venture. Um, but elsewhere there's um, you know there's lots of the opposites. So there's a crazy influence of social media and there's you know diseases becoming fashionable practically and uh, there's an overmedicalization of all of life's woes.
1: Um, what, what, what do you make of this world when you look at it? Um, I just on the Young Scientist Competition how it works. Um, you know when it was founded back in, in coming up sixty years yeah, ago yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, each each entrant was judged by one judge, mm. and it became a battle of the judges. Yeah. Not a battle of the students, mm. and they found after about five years it was the same judges winning every year. Mm. So they intero- introduced a second round of judging for each entrant. Yeah. to dilute the judge effect. And they found in the mid seventies, they had to introduce a third round of judging. So that's why you would do now. We, yeah. we do three rounds yeah. and three rounds of judging got rid of the dominant judging effect. Right? It, it, so I think in modern society, if you could get rid, and all our kids are asking for this, you're yeah. so judgy, stop being so judgy. If you can get rid of the judgmental bit in society yeah. and you come up with what is the best uh, best evidence mm-hmm. uh, in a way that is generally accepted to be uh, you know a good way to gather evidence then you would uh, th- then then the activist voice um, would just be a voice yeah it wouldn't be evidence people would be saying well, well you know where is that from because most activist groups uh, are really small they're two or three people mm. who make massive noise and influence opinion yeah in the obesity space uh, there is a strong drive now led by activists in the States uh-huh. to demedicalize childhood obesity and say let it happen don't stigmatize as we said earlier mm. and the American College of Pediatrics have just published guidelines to say uh childhood obesity is a major problem which yeah. it is yeah if we don't identify it and treat it aggressively then those children are going to be sick adults at a younger age with their chronic disease yeah. now we have all the evidence you need to say that is correct mm-hmm. um, and is already happening but the activist groups have slammed the american college of pediatric guidelines saying this is awful, uh, drop these, drop childhood obesity from your guidelines, uh, don't medicalise it um, and, uh, and, the, and the why for this is that so that kids
0: don't feel miserable and that they in, in, in some sense they they don't have self-esteem issues being compounded by uh, obesity, let the kids be obese.
1: Uh, uh, well it's, it's saying let the kids live with obesity. Yeah, Um, and don't be on them. Now, we know that kids living with obesity uh, have poor uh, self-esteem, poor performance academically, poor performance in sports and social events. We know those things happen, and they don't happen because it's medicalised, and if you medicalise it and manage it, which we're now at a point with advances in treatment that you can realistically think about, then you can get them to a early adulthood at a healthier weight, yeah. and they're off to a better start. I
0: mean, listen, I try and get myself cancelled with some of the things that come out with. But this is true. I, good few years ago, I, w- I was cycling um, along through Harrow's Cross on a beautiful sunny summer's day, and there were there were there was a father and son walking along the footpath, um, and I try and phrase this correctly. The the father was. Grotesquely, obese to my
1: eyes, grotesquely was obese. was living. That's a term You're, you can't really. I don't get. Can't. It. Yeah, can't, so, but I, I can't uh, convey my meaning to somebody listening. Really. Yeah. <laughs> but had, was living with extreme or severe obesity. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and the child beside
0: him, who looked to be about eight or nine, was rapidly going the same way. Yeah. I, I, I I've never seen a, a child that small. That. Oh, it, it was an extraordinary
1: pair to see. And I can tell you that child was four and you wow. thought they were eight because a child with obesity grows early right? Uh, and will be treated, not like a four year old, but like an eight year old. So when they're being met and dealt with, yeah. the pitch of other people dealing with them will be a little ahead of where they're at. Yeah. And so it's fundamentally off. Offerly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really sad. I mean, the impact of severe childhood obesity on even childhood cognition and understanding mm. uh, is significant. Um, and you
0: lay down the, the kind of bedrock for your life during that period. And um, no, My thought at the time was, again, another incorrect thought. Uh, I was, you know, if, if you look at that child, um, that child suffering from obesity, has probably reduced their life expectancy by a third, um, compared to peers. And in this day and age, that might be 30 years of quality of life. Um, So explain to me why I'm wrong, that we can't call this a third of a murder, uh, or or that there's some sort of justification for preventing the preventable harm uh, that that parent is doing to the
1: child. Yeah, so it's now clear that the there isn't a harm from parent to child there. Uh, there is a genetic predisposition okay. to weight gain. So it's one of the reasons why I'm wrong yeah. in that snap judgment. Yeah, and, and it's a snap judgment that people living with uh, severe and complex obesity are subject to all the time. Yeah, uh, But, you know, obesity is a genetic condition, uh, predisposition, and then you get... Too much energy from the environment for those genes. Mm. Uh, Malignant melanoma is a skin cancer. Yeah. Uh, You have a genetic predisposition. Uh, If somebody has malignant melanoma, we don't tell them that sunscreen and a hat is Mm. their treatment. Mm. That's the prevention piece. Yeah. We tell them that's important because we don't want more uh, skin cancer, but we treat their skin cancer. Yeah. At the moment, we're still telling somebody who's living with severe and complex obesity that eat less, move more, yeah. is your treatment. It's not, it's the prevention piece. Yeah, uh, you're fa- fascinating. So, and likewise with other attempted social interventions,
0: whether it's alcohol prevention or alcohol misuse, whatever it is, um, it, you know it's good that the, the, the medicals treat neutrally. And um, in an ethically neutral manner just treat the symptoms that present. Um, but in terms of trying to move the needle societally, um, there's a touch of nanny stating and shaming um, that you know the curmudgeons like me sometimes resistant or frustrated by. But Ireland has actually made some progress. I think we've improved on obesity relative to peers, or maybe you know we're we're not getting worse at the rate we used to compared to others, if that makes sense. Yeah no no you and, 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 and certainly that's true of alcohol consumption. Uh, It might be a stretch to say we're maturing our relationship with alcohol but it is moderating you know we're we're more likely to drink through the week with a mixture of wine than the enormous feed of pints at the weekend. So maybe the Irish pattern is changing a little differently and I speak with somebody who's planning an enormous feed of pints at the weekend when Ireland play rugby but you know I think as a society we're a little bit more sensible on that. Are, Are you hopeful that we will do better? On obesity or, or is the epidemic we're foreseeing
1: in 20 years 30 years time our inevitable future
0: we had it off
1: uh, I think he, he, I think in a country this size which is small mm. uh, you have a better chance than in the UK or in you know the States so if Ireland took a very active aggressive approach yeah. to the marketing uh, uh, of, of high-fat high-sugar foods to young kids the product placement you know the Easter eggs were mm. out before January started yeah. this year uh, Halloween appeared before back to school last mm. year it's, it's getting worse not better yeah and and that's what the food and drinks industry is saying we will self-regulate let us self-regulate they can't self-regulate no and you can't you
0: know no rational actor would act against their best interest they may rationalize what they do but they're clearly not um, neutral so they can't self-regulate uh, and, you know, the bigger an industry gets, the less uh, able it is to self regulation. If you look at the behavior of, say, Big Pharma, for example, and again, I'm trying to, try to be cancelled area, I'm trying not to be sued either, but Big Pharma as a collective, you've got good and bad. You've got magnificently good, like the production of a COVID-19 vaccine, you know, moonshot by humanity, turned around in 18 months, amazing. Wouldn't it be done if it wasn't for the existence of for-profit Big Pharma companies uh, doing it. You also then have the opioid crisis in the United States, um, and deeply, horribly cynical, enormously damaging ongoing crisis. So in Ireland, for example, if you legalized cannabis, maybe one of the big concerns about that would not be that you know you put the drug dealers out of business, but you'd be giving, them, giving the role to the biggest drug dealers in the world. Uh, what would they do with it? Um, so I don't know. Regulation versus education is a debate, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, education is a part of it. Personal responsibility is a part of it. But with the obesity uh, kind of epidemic, you have to uh, recognise that uh, genes and environment are the major drivers, 70 to 80%. And you can modify maybe 10, 15, 20% with personal responsibility. Personal responsibility is something that people in socioeconomic groups one and two are Mm. better able to take. And better educated to take than the lower socioeconomic groups. So you have population separation yeah. and health inequality. And the other issue that I think about quite frequently is the uh, drugs, the pharmaceuticals that are coming mm. for obesity are going, are very effective. Okay. We are going to have them to use over the next number of years. And what and do they Do they, they just inhibit appetite or do they? Uh, well, they know they do more than that. They they inhibit appetite. They increase kind of energy burn and regulation, and they reset uh, your kind of adult body weight. But you have a food and drinks industry that is peddling the, yeah. the food and drinks. Uh, you have a food and drinks industry that's investing heavily in the companies that are making these products mm. to treat obesity. So you've got this perfect kind of cycle of. Industry executives uh, profiting from share prices that are soaring both within their own industry and within the pharma industry that's treating the condition they're causing. Yeah, Uh, and let's say, for example, a young couple have a baby child next
0: week, and they would expect the medical um, services to be able to tell them, you know, your child has developed asthma, here's an inhaler, here's what you do, here are the protocols, or you know. your child might need glasses. Can you not similarly say your child has that unlucky combination of genetic predisposition to obesity and a 21st century environment? So that's what you know, and in the same way that the asthma kid has his inhaler and the short-sighted kid has his
1: glasses, this is your program, this is what you must do with your baby. Yeah, I mean, there are thousands of uh, now at this stage, at least many hundreds of genes that are linked to the development of overweight and obesity. Uh, I think a child born today has more than 50% chance of reaching 100. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, that brings with it massive yeah. it's fantastic yeah. and it shows where we've gone. Well, we're not truly expert genuinely globally we're not truly
0: expert in what a 105 year old human being looks like because we uh, pretty no. poor sample sizes so remote.
1: you know when right. I was an intern uh, just qualified if somebody was admitting they were 90 you heard about it and you went up to have a look at them you what did a 90 year old look like um, and now we're routinely admitting 104 and 105-year-olds. So we're beginning to see you know, yeah. that that surge in, in uh, age spread. Yeah. With it, the surge in frailty. Uh, and early intervention and early identification of disease risk, mm-hmm. um, it's already happening. So couples go for counselling now, preconception. And, and the Irish Coalition of People Living with Obesity have brought the voice of what it is like to yeah. live with obesity. To articulate it properly. I in in yeah. the last number of years. And a few years ago, I, I went on a trip and we said, we need to bring the patient voice mm. uh, with us. So uh, Lorna, who was one of our patients, agreed to come uh, to Prague. And I walked through uh, Dublin airport with her. Mm. Um, and I saw the looks she got. Yeah. And I heard the comments she got. What surprised me was the looks I got for being with her, mm-hmm. and the comments I got for being with her. So, having heard how judged yeah. people with obesity uh, feel, to actually walk with somebody and experience it was really enlightening yeah. and a little sobering. Because um, you know, if we're honest, many
0: of us have had that first bounce reaction, um, and you know, there'd be a very tiny number of people who would be actively rude. But the second glances and the double takes that you get all the time, all the, all the, yeah. all the time. It's, it's, it's a hard way to live. Oh, it really it's, it's, yeah. Yeah.
1: When, when you hear the, the, the patients talk about it, uh, you think about their challenges yeah. in a completely different way uh, that will give patients more appropriate accommodation yeah. that they'll feel kind of valued in as opposed mm-hmm. to you're out the back there in a port cabin yeah well hopefully we will and kind of no better man to be the ambassador and push for it and um, you, you do a little bit of media i've seen you do it you did once did operation transformation am i right yeah. about that uh, i did had a, a role uh, like uh, almost as a kind of a guest for uh, uh, a, a trip little. to new york to look at calorie posting on menu boards oh, uh, yeah. uh, an opinion piece on the role of legislation uh, uh year on year begging them to get the producers to get rid of the lycra um, Which they finally did. Which they did, yeah. and you so know, funnily it. enough,
0: having having
1: spoken about another context, it was social media pressure finally made RT do that. Can we, can uh, yeah, learn, uh, yeah. No, I mean that's correct, yeah. and and uh, I think uh, the emphasis of the show uh, is still very much around eat less, move more. Yeah. Now this year they have widened it to a wellness assessment that's yeah. much more than just weight. I think this year's leaders are fantastic. uh but uh, it's still fundamentally mm. a message of eat less move more as, as the, the, the way forward and you know that's why Eva Hearn the dietitian left this year she wasn't happy Life. with that emphasis it needs to be more than that um, yeah. yeah there you go Well, um, uh, well thanks very much
0: Donald fascinating chat um, and good to see you at the day job um, yep. and yeah, we,
1: well, we'd say are, do you take time out to follow the rugby? but do you follow your best oh, progress and, yeah well um, so I'm, Conor's now kind of I know he's with the uh, enemy he's with he's the, the enemy so it was easy to support him when he was with Italy yeah I, no, I no, enjoyed no, that particularly when he made fools of them and tweaked them. that
0: was hilarious
1: yeah, that Co- was, coaching masterclass that was a, a high point uh, yeah. I, what I've agreed this year is that I will support uh, England uh, in their matches except against Ireland um, Connor i uh, uh, I knew I was going
0: to do that at least once <laughs> um, and, and, and At least uh, you
1: didn't call me Panty
2: I didn't Just in panty. the text
0: a typo before as well <laughs> um, And if you are talking to Connor um, I, I've sorted for the quarterfinal tickets But semi-final and final tickets uh, When I get there He'd be, he'd be a great man for the on those um, I'm in ahead of you Excellent, excellent Donald, thanks very much okay, Thank you So that's Donald O'Shea I hope you enjoyed the chat let me know if you have any thoughts on it. Get in touch on conorfalknan at gmail.com. Do remember that you can access the full Driving Life archive of previous episodes at seniortimes.ie. Thanks again to Doro Mobile Phones, to Specsavers and Expressway buses. And we're done. Drive safely, live happily, and come back and see us again.
2: And will phone poke a new wet, and will knappy, no fum niece or wet. niece is Faker no phone into a tall gwin, on sure egg darrow. And von is dani, gidi he gohan la high glenna August taskina. tarod egen go tanismo To olis egg darrow An will phone poke a new will canny no fum niece or wet niece Faker no phone into a tall gwin, unsure egg darrow. And phone clister is danny. Get the gohan lahi glinner August taskina. To Rod egen, go To olis egg